we're going to move into our teaching time this morning. We are starting a new series today that we're going to spend about two months on with a few breaks here and there. And this is in a larger picture this year that we're calling sort of our year of discipleship about developing the way of peace. We spent about two months wrestling with some of Bruxy Cavey's book, uh, The End of Religion, talking about our relationship with, uh, with God and uh, peace with God. And that we're going to use as a discipleship course uh, going forward once these study materials come out as a regular thing in our church, sort of our version of the Alpha course. And so we'll be offering that. If you're interested in helping lead those kinds of things, by the way, please talk to me. But then this next two months, we're going to shift into peace with others. And then two months after that, we're going to be talking about peace with self. And then the final months, we're not going to do the whole year in this series, but a lot of the year, we'll be going into peace with stuff, stewardship of creation, of ourselves, of our bodies, of material, all of that stuff. Um, so this is the second two months in that series, a new, a larger discipleship focus, peace with others. And I have to say, this is great material. We're using, we're going to be getting uh, information through your home church as well. This home church is going to go deeper into this. And this is stuff we're using from the Peacemaker Ministries and also Relational Wisdom 360. Great stuff. Powerful stuff. We've used this before in other contexts. And I just believe that while a lot of it to some of you may seem super simple, it's the application that really matters. How do we become Jesus-centered peacemakers in our relationships with others. And I would like to say that in my years of life, I have it down and I am the perfect example of a peacemaker. And then if I believe that God still struck people down with lightning, I would step aside because the lightning bolt would come, pow, like that, because I don't always get this right. And um, it's a continual learning and practice. So I'm in this with you. We're on this journey together. And those in the room said amen or amen. Okay, all right. Oh, that was, that, was, that was weak, guys. That was really weak. Give you a little illustration, a little story from John Ortberg. He says this, imagine picking up your car from the shop after a routine tune-up. And the technician says, this car is in great shape. Clearly, you have an automotive genius to take great care of your car. Later that day, your brakes fail. And you find out you were out of brake fluid. You could have died. You go back to the shop and you say, why didn't you tell me? The technician replies, well, I, I didn't want you to feel bad. Plus, to be honest, I was afraid you might get upset with me. I want this to be a safe place where you feel loved and accepted. You would be furious. And you'd say, I didn't come here for a little fantasy-based ego boost. When it comes to my car, I want the truth. My brakes were going to fail. Or imagine going to the doctor's office for a checkup, and the doctor says, you have a magnificent, you, excuse me, you are a magnificent physical specimen. You have the body of an Olympian. You are to be congratulated. And later that day, while climbing the stairs, your heart gives out. You find out later that your arteries were so clogged that you were like one jelly donut away from the grim reaper. You go back to the doctor and you say, why, why didn't you tell me? And the doctor says, well, I knew your body's in worse shape than the Pillsbury Doughboy, but if I tell people stuff like that, they get offended. It's bad for business. They don't come back, and I want this to be a safe place where you can feel loved and accepted. You'd be furious. You'd say to the doctor, when it comes to my body, I want the truth. John says this, obviously, when something matters to us, we don't want illusory, illusory comfort based on our pain avoidance. We want the truth. When we talk about personal peacemaking, this is where we 
here in the beginning of the Gospel of John, this marvelous phrase about Jesus. In him was the fullness of grace and truth. Love and acceptance and truthfulness together, woven together in him. Relationships are really the only eternal things that we can influence, right? You can't take your bank account with you when you pass on into the life to come. You can't take your car with you. I mean, we can bury it beside you if you'd like. I joke about we have a Fiat. We actually have two Fiats in our family. We have one of the little, little Fiats. And um, actually, you say that differently in Canada, and I've never learned the Canadian pronunciation of Fiat, so you're just going to get Fiat from me. Um, And uh, I just joke about if I'm in an accident with this car, you're just going to bury me in this car because, like, it's basically a coffin with airbags. So uh, this relationships are the only thing that you can actually take with you. You can influence people that influence people that are a relational chain all the way into eternity. And of course, we know we're called as Christians to be rooted and grounded in love, but this requires maturity and a willingness to actually grow in order to love people. We love God by loving others, but how do we actually do that? And the way of peacemaking is how we actually do that. Growth requires a community, and I think this is one reason why churches during this time really struggle, because we are a laboratory of love, and it's harder to love when we have less ability to engage with one another, Uh, and doing it via Zoom, there's so many layers relationally and cues that we miss uh, that we really struggle with this, but yet we are struggling with it, we wrestle with it. This is important to know, this message, this series, because conflict is all around us. It's in the air. Conflict affects marriage. It affects our dating relationships. It affects family. It affects churches, spiritual family, neighborhoods, work. Conflict can wear us down over time, and it can damage our witness to the larger world as well when the church doesn't deal well with conflict. You guys are no better than all the gossip around uh, the lunchroom in my other uh, secular employment. It can damage our witness. And so we need to wrestle with this, and we want to open up the series today by talking about some aspects of conflict, some real basic introduction stuff, and then you're going to go much deeper with this in home church this week, and you're going to wrestle with it again, both the text and the questions. I really encourage you, if you haven't joined a home church yet, join one. Email us. The contact information is right there, right below the YouTube link on how to sign up. Get on our email list. Uh, Email us about joining a home church, and we'll try to get you uh, sent in a couple directions to check one out and to dig deeper. So my assumptions in this series as we begin to start it is this, is that some of this we already know on a surface level, particularly if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know some of this on a surface level, but we constantly need to be reformed and formed, reshaped by it. That nobody is exempt. I am not exempt. I am not the picture-perfect example. In fact, I joke about this with churches all the time. I'm the kind of pastor you hire to make yourselves feel better about yourself because you look at me and you're like, man, that guy, he's a complete disaster. Uh, I can do better than that. And then you kind of pride yourself into a false trap and then you hit the rock yourself and you know, you look to Jesus and we look to Jesus and we look to Jesus together and there's where our hope lies. <laughs> no one's exempt. I'm not exempt. This is about everyday conflict, by the way. One other caveat before we get into any of this is super important to say, and I'll probably say it multiple times in every message. There are exceptions to these principles that we're going to teach here. For example, in abuse situations where there's an extreme differential in power uh, or abuse situations of any type, however you want to paint that, some of this stuff you don't apply the same way. There has to be a certain amount of safety engaged and distance. And so be careful. That, and, but keep in mind that most cases are not that that we're talking about. But if you have a question about does this make sense in this situation, 
where there's been a power differential and abuse, uh, then you need to back up and ask, wait a second, this would have not looked exactly the same way in that because we don't want people to be re-victimized by the misapplication of this stuff, which has happened in church context. Great example of it, by the way, read uh, Sarah Bassinger and Scott McKnight's book on Tove, Goodness, uh, talking about the issues with like places uh, like Willow Creek and Bill Hybels and all the disasters that happened there. They talk specifically about this kind of thing and understanding how this is not to be weaponized or re-victimized people. So that's important. Huge little asterisk to point out there how we apply this. Did you hear me? Everybody hear me in this room? Yes? Nod your head, say yes, say amen, something. Okay, all right. That's important to understand that. All right. So that's important to know. And finally, this is to bring hope to move us forward in how we handle conflict. So let me read to you a very classic passage from the New Testament from uh, James. And he says this, where do the conflicts, James chapter 4, just verse 1 through 3, where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Is it not from this, from your passions or desires that battle inside of you? And we all have those things. Verse 2, you desire and when you don't have, you murder and envy and you can't obtain and so you quarrel and fight and you do not have because you do not ask and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly so you can spend it on those passions and desires, a complete self-focus. Let's pray and we're going to dig into this stuff this morning. Join with me. Lord, thank you for the gift and giver. Thank you for your presence that is in this house. Thank you for your word which comes to us. And Lord, that this is the reflections and the writings of those that actually walked with you or talked with those who walked with you, the chain of witnesses all the way back to those very beginning of your ministry. And God, that we stand in something that has historical and relational continuity that wasn't made up 300 years later or 600 years later, but if we judge this thing from a proper historical context, there's our chain of relational eyewitnesses all the way back. And Lord, that you did something, that people heard your words and they followed you and then they were disappointed and they unfollowed you and then something changed in time that they all started following you again and we stand in that chain of people that encountered you as Christ living on on this earth and now by the Holy Spirit present in the church and the world. And so today, as we begin this series, rooted in your life and teachings, Lord Jesus, I pray that your anointing, your spirit would awaken us and move within us and cause us and stir us to want to be that kind of humanity empowered by your grace uh, that you have desired for us. And Lord, you've given us free will. You don't force us to do it. So it is a choice to operate, to cooperate with your grace. And so, Lord, we want to engage with that cooperant grace today and walk in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. Peter Scazzaro says this in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I love this little quote, and it's bigger than just our subject today, but it says, we are to live our lives as the rest of the world, marrying, experiencing sorrow and joy, buying things, using them, but always with the awareness that these things in themselves are not our life. We are to be marked by eternity, free from the dominating power of things. And so as we begin this discussion about personal peacemaking and making peace with others, keep that in your mind that we are to be formed by these greater values of eternity that Jesus uh, teaches. How do we live those out? Now, in the story of personal peacemaking, we need to have two observations and put them out uh, right out there again, and we're using material from the peacemaker. Two observations will come up in this. Number one is our past. As we wrestle with personal peacemaking, our past is going to come up. Many of us have unreconciled relationships, 
And God wants to work with us in those relationships. So our past is going to come up. And I want, again, remind us of that caveat. Some of those relationships, it's going to be about us releasing people from judgment, but there won't be reconciliation. And through this eight-week series, we'll talk about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and drill down into that quite a bit. Uh, And so we need to understand our past will come up. But some things in our past, the Holy Spirit is going to put his finger on that and said, you need to reach out and begin, try to reconcile with that person, begin to at least have the conversation, wade into the awkward uh, sort of um, tunnel of chaos with that person. Don't avoid those conversations that may be the Holy Spirit, something new may break forth in your life, in your family, in your friendships. So be aware of that, okay? That in this, your past will come up. And the second thing is the future. You're going to lay down some new cultural foundations, some Jesus church culture foundations for the way we handle future disagreements, normal and natural ones that happen in families, in work, and church. So your future is going to be impacted by this as well if you take this to heart and hear these words from Christ, from Scripture, the teaching about personal peacemaking. So there's some main things we want to discuss this morning just to set the stage for what we'll get into for the rest of the series To summarize it very simply, we want to talk about the sparks of conflict, the fuel of conflict, the fire of conflict, and the hope in conflict. So the sparks, the fuel, the fire, and the hope. There's a story that P.J. Ellingdon tells about an old rabbi. A young rabbi found a serious problem in his new congregation. And during the Friday service, half the congregation stood for the prayers and half remained seated, sort of like we in this room during live stream services, half of us, okay. <laughs> Names shall not be named. Each side shouted at the other side, insisting that theirs was the true tradition, the standing or the sitting. Nothing the rabbi, this young rabbi said or did, helped solve the impasse. And finally, in desperation, the young rabbi sought out the synagogue's 99-year-old founder, the rabbi emeritus. And he met with the old rabbi in the nursing home and poured out his troubles. And he said, so tell me, he pleaded, was it the tradition for the congregation to stand during the prayers at the beginning? No, answered the old rabbi. Ah, responded the younger man. Then it was the tradition to sit during the prayers. No, responded the old rabbi. Well, the young rabbi responded, what we have here is complete chaos. Half the people stand and shout, and the other half sit and scream. Ah, said the old rabbi, that was the tradition. But I'm bumching. You could have said that about any Baptist church anywhere in the world, pretty much, by the way. The source of conflict, the spark of conflict. There are several aspects that spark conflict in us, right? There's God-given diversity. It's one of our core values here at Pilgrim that we value kingdom diversity. We're a many-cultured people. We're called to unity, though, in Christ, not uniformity. Colossians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about this. And many churches run from this tension of unity and not uniformity. In a healthy church, you don't know everybody. Also, you don't get to gel with everyone because Jesus wants his church to look like the community it's in. That means we should have a plurality of cultures and personality types and socioeconomic status. 
And as a church, we're going through revitalization, and we've been seeing our church continue. We look like Vancouver in our neighborhood, but we're coming from many different places. Most of us here in our particular congregation are first, second, third generation immigrants to Canada. And each one of those things uniquely shapes us and how we are. And then you add on top of it the family we're from and the traditions, good and bad, from our families of origins. And then you add personality types. Woo, into the mix, and then you add social economic things into the mix, what's acceptable, this and that, all of the consumption stuff that's shaping us in our cultural liturgies. This is a lot of spark for conflict in that. God desires the church to be diverse, and many of us have different gifts, and understanding that people learn differently and experience things differently. In fact, some people hear, one reason why I rotate guests is because some people hear sermons differently. Some people really love a certain kind of message, others that. The reality is you still have preaching through personality, and so that's why there's many different churches as well. But all of these things, understanding that God-given diversity is a gift, but it can also be a great spark for conflict. And so when you're immediately maybe encountering someone and you have something rise up within you and it rubs you the wrong way, step back and breathe and ask, what is it exactly am I reacting to? Maybe it's because, well, I was from a Midwestern family of origin where we always took the shoes off in our house. Believe it or not, in the United States, people, especially in the Midwest, do take their shoes off when they go in the house because you were in farm community and you didn't want to bring whatever was there into the place where you're trying to relax, right? But then you go to someone else's house and they wear their shoes through their whole house. So you learn to not judge, but to ask what is acceptable, what is okay. And you just put yourself out there. There's a little silly example of that, something that could be a conflict. Don't make it a conflict. Find a simple way of peacemaking, and that one is very easy. We need to understand, though, the differences, the diversity. If it becomes a game of power and manipulation, instead of putting it through the lens of, of Jesus and Scripture, we can become another sort of, you know, pulled into all this destructive use of knowledge. But wisdom through Christ calls us to act differently towards one another. In fact, the, the refrain we hear in the New Testament is submit to one another, submit to one another in love, learn to listen, learn to make space to engage, and we are transformed them by mutual learning and encouragement in the body of Christ, the laboratory of love. You learn that you're wonderfully made also. We need to know that there is also sinful desires at work within us. We still do sinful acts with self-knowledge, we just get better at sinning. So what we do with the knowledge matters and how we're shaped by love. Our God-given diversity of personalities, gifts, cultures, and so on can be sources of misunderstanding that spark conflict. And our knowledge of the diversity is not enough. Simply being woke to that knowledge is wonderful, but you have to take a whole other step. I joke about in our culture, we're not woke enough, and the Jesus way of peace calls us to another way of what do we do with that knowledge differently than the kingdom of the world ways of thinking about that awareness of this diversity. Our knowledge is not enough to overcome conflict. Self-actualization, knowing who we are without heart transformation, we just learn to sin in better ways. Conflicts start because we want everyone to be together in exactly the same way. This is why growing churches work at unity with vision and mission and have diversity through different ways of being, whether it's through different small groups, different ways of gathering. Like we have to find ways to wrestle with that. So let me summarize the spark again. What can get these uh, conflicts going? Number one is God-given diversity. Say it with me. If you're awake at home or in this room, God-given diversity. diversity. Scripture celebrates unity, not uniformity. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, everyone, say it with me, everyone, 
everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, and then he talks about the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit is given for the common good. And verse 12, I love this, just as a body, though it has many parts, but all its many members form one body, so it is with Christ in the church. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The extrovert can't say to the introvert, go away, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. God-given unity in the body and diversity. Conflicts also spark when we don't think we need the other. Well, we just need this church to be X. We just need to sing these kinds of songs. We just need to have these kind of people. We just need to be... When we start doing that, we're not being a church anymore. We're just being a social club like every little thing in the world where we all work in the same place, where we all live in the same neighborhood. The church, we tear down these walls. We create structures that allow different gifts to flourish in the body. I think that's important why home churches are really important in a healthy church. Home churches can allow for more and more manifestation of that unique diversity where we have both unity and diversity together. So often churches try to always do large group things top down all the time when in fact it's probably better to have a system where it's a mix of both where in the smaller group you're focusing for the sake of interests and unique gifts within that. Our compassion initiatives need to also happen through the home church where that, tr that littler group within the body can use its gifts and its passions as well instead of it always being an overarching whole body thing all the time. Straight up, we need to ask how can we decenter that and do that more. That's why we create a structure here in our renewal and revitalization where there's both at work and play to empower more people in their gifts and uniqueness in the body. So the spark, God-given diversity, misunderstandings due to different wiring, we've already hit on this, diversities and preference, priorities, personalities. Sometimes competition over resources becomes a real thing in terms of that sparking conflict. Sinful attitudes, of course, and desires as well are part of what lead us into the spark of conflict. And then finally, we want to name the enemy. Uh, the Bible tells us there's an adversary who is similar to God in that he seeks to use us but lies to us, makes us think we're more or less of ourselves in order to bring destruction, and the enemy knows how to fight. I think C.S. Lewis' wonderful fictional book, um, The Screwtape Letters, talks about a demon being mentored by a, uh, a younger demon by an older demon and how they're going to go after people, and it talks about this. It's just lovely. Uh, it talks about human psychology and this idea of the enemy working on us. So again, the enemy has also worked this spark. I need to get the last two out here quickly as we get to the end here. Are you still awake in this room-ish? We wake enough? Okay. All right, nobody's sleeping. Harry doesn't count. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I won't tell you the gesture he just sent my way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was drenched in love. <laughs> the spark moves into the gasoline when differences become full-on conflicts. James, again, verse 1 through 2. What causes fight and quarrels among you? They come from your desires that battle within you. You desire but do not have. Again, I love Jamie Smith's stuff talking about how we are called, that our desires are shapeable and moldable. Sometimes we told the lie that your desires are just set. No, no, no. You can actually, through habit, change desire and what you focus on. There's some things that I think are set, sort of genetically nurtured, but there's so many other things that are not, and we just think, oh, that's just the way it is. No, it's not just the way it is. In fact, you do have much control over that. So he says, something battles within you for your affection and drives your decisions. 
And I like how Ken Sandy says this, that something that battles within you for your affection and drives your decisions is a God. And to use biblical language, things that desire your affections, your ultimate <clears throat> drives are called idols. Say it with me, idol. Idol. Because basically it's something that may be good, but you want too much of. It may be something that you will sin or obtain, uh, sin to obtain or sin if it's denied. Something that you will sin to get it or sin if you can't get it. And James says this, he lays out this progression of an idol, and I love this stuff, this is great stuff. I desire goes into, I demand something, and if I don't get it, I'm going to judge, and then if I'm judging you, I'm going to punish you in our relationship one way or the other, and we're going to talk more about that in the next seven weeks as well. I desire, I demand, I judge, I punish. We need to remember that our world culture around us is not neutral. We have this conversation with my kids all the time. There is no neutral ground. There is no the church and the neutral ground. There is no neutral ground in the world. The, the whole of the stage has been influenced by brokenness and creation and misuse of our freedom and will for generations. So there is no true neutral ground. And so we need to wrestle with this. What are our desires? What's shaping them? What's driving them? And then our behaviors that come out of it. If I can't be loving someone as Jesus loves them, it's probably because there's an idol in my life that is demanding worship or even the sacrifice of that person in some way, shape, or form. And so the second thing we want to say about the gasoline that gets poured on the conflict is there is a role to learn a Christian version of detachment. I like how, again, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality says this, along the way, in this journey with Christ, we get attached to, literally nailed to behaviors and habits and things and people in an unhealthy way. I love my home. I love my car. I love my book. So getting real close there, Peter. You better back off. I love my wife. I love, he says, my four daughters. I love my church. I love my comforts. comforts. I love good health. And like you, I rarely realize how attached I am to something until it's removed or God removes it. That can reveal, question, reveal idols in our lives. So idol-revealing questions. How would you respond to disappointments or barriers in whatever the area is that you're experiencing the fire of conflict or the gas of conflict? Have you ever stretched the truth in arguing for or against your desire? How are your opponents being treated in this area regarding this thing that might be an idol? What are some of the things in your church or family life that can become idols? What are those things? And where have these led to conflict? If you want to hear what conflict gasoline sounds like, it sounds like this. You deserve it. Look out for number one. Stand up for yourself. Don't get mad. Get even. Call 1-800-LAWYERS today. These are the gasoline questions. This gasoline that we pour on is something that we demand I desire turns into demand, and I judge, and I punish. Progression of an idol, gasoline, and then fire. i got to do the fire, and then we'll, we'll pray and sing. So, not learning biblical peacemaking has a high cost. There is a wonderful graph that we're going to introduce to you in the next few weeks about the slippery slope. Imagine, as it were, a slippery slope. And on one side is sort of peace-faking or running escape responses, and on the other side are peace-breaking attack responses, and we're called to live sort of on the top of the slope, biblical peacemaking. Not learning biblical peacemaking has a high, con has a high cost, and fire destroys. It destroys things. For example, churches, people can flee from churches because their emotional health is never growing, and they just go to a new group to inflict conflict. They take their 
non-biblical peacemaking conflicts over third-level issues into new congregations. I remember in church planting, I will never forget this story uh, for as long as I live. I may forget my kid's name, but I'm just kidding, but I'll forget. <laughs> kidding, if my kids are watching, probably now or later, they'll watch that. You gotta watch like X many minutes in, dad totally said something. No. I remember when we were church planting and this whole group came in one Sunday and we were in the formation stage and we were worshiping and planning and they said, oh, we're looking for a new church. And there was like 15 of these people and when you're a church planter from scratch and 15 people show up, you're either really excited and then you're also a bit terrified. And I'm like, oh, well, tell me more about what, what's your story. And they said, well, our last church, and then they just went off for like 10 minutes on their last church. And I looked at them and I said, well, you're going to need to work through that before you come here because really we don't have the capacity to deal with your woundedness. And I know that when people leave a church upset and unhealed and they go to another congregation, you're going to take that with you. And if you don't deal with your own way of you're dealing with conflict, you're going to take it with you everywhere you go. And so we have to wrestle with that. We see the fire of conflict with divorce in marriages, not working through these things, letting these issues flare up and never working through personal peacemaking. We see millions of dollars wasted in lawsuits. There was a statistic some years ago that said 40% of pastors deal with severe conflict in congregations in some way, shape, or form at least one time a week. Well, I guess COVID's kind of tamped that down for the last year, but thank God we're not there as a church. May we never be there. We're told that there's something like 1,500 pastors quit each month due to conflict, burnout, or moral failure, and that actually has increased since this statistic during COVID. And then there's low-level conflict. You know low-level conflict in the body, gossip, complaining, judging, unforgiveness. It drains a church's energy. Churches, many churches that need revitalization have not dealt with gossip, complaining, judging, and unforgiveness. They've never learned to be biblical peacemakers, so they run around doing all these behaviors that's like a death by a million cuts. And it drags the church down. And we often justify it saying we talk about the truth, but we forgot, forget about the teachings of grace and truth and Jesus' way of peace and how we handle conflict. That's why this series is so important because so many churches and our church can be hurt when we don't understand behaviors that are actually destructive and anti-Christ behaviors. And sometimes somebody can be real pious on a Sunday morning or in a home church, but then their mouth, they've never learned biblical peacemaking, and they rip and tear and rip and tear and rip and tear. Think of a recent conflict in your life, your work, your home, your friends, your church. What was the spark? What was the gas? And what are the fires now burning? Jesus calls us to live differently. In John 17, he says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, the relational chain of authority. We stand alone on the word of God, and his name is Jesus. And all of that, all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. And I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. His prayer is for us to have kingdom unity, not uniformity, but kingdom unity. So as we engage in this series in peacemaking, we need to remember the wonder of the gospel, that it's all about him taking on our brokenness and calling us to receive that grace so we don't have to bear that burden. Christ calls us to put to death ways of being that are destructive to others. I love how 1 Peter 3.18 says this, for Christ suffered once for sins, for righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit or in the Spirit. 
We need to remember the impact of the gospel, that God has called us to be people who are to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bear with one another, forgive one another, Colossians 3. And so we need to remember these things, that these empower us to live this way. The power of the story of Jesus, his death, his teachings, his life, his resurrection, his coming again, shapes a different way of being human and so we want to drill into this personal peacemaking in the next weeks ahead. I can forgive. I can step away from my judgment because I have received the grace of Jesus, and it's shaping me differently as a human. The gospel wants to work within us, to call us to live differently, to engage, to engage with our conflicts and steward them that we might glorify God in them and through them. Well, this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. And I just want to say if there's any questions. Did we get any questions that got texted in this morning? We did send out that number. That number is always available. I, we're going to try to work at getting it on the screen all the time with our notes, so you can always text in a question. But I'm excited to begin this series. Next Sunday, we'll drill in a little deeper into this. But today we wanted to just talk about the ideas behind conflict, the sort of the spark, the gasoline, and the fire of conflict. And I want to challenge you to become a peacemaking people, that the way of peace is the way of Jesus. That's how we live this out. And I can hear some of you say, well, what about wars, and what about governments, and what about, uh, you know, that, that big nasty country to the south of us that's always sticking their finger in things, and what about this and that? Yeah, 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 that's important. But... Start at home. Start with your relationships right now. Start with the ones and twos and threes in your life right now. Start with pers personal peacemaking here. It's one thing, and it's an easy thing. And I have Mennonites on one side of my family. It's an easy thing to talk about global, international conflict. It's really hard to learn not to be a warmonger in your own life. That's what this is about. Begin there. And then maybe someday we can get to the other stuff. But if you can't start here... Let's not jump the fence on that one. Let's start with our personal peacemaking, how we're going to engage with conflict. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, this opportunity to introduce a new series today. God, I pray that there's some conviction going on in hearts and minds right now about how we've been handling conflict. And we do want to learn to avoid the peace faking or the peace breaking, the fight or flight amygdala sort of thing that Jesus named way before the psychology caught up to Jesus. Still hasn't caught up fully to Jesus, but <clears throat> and probably never will. But we want to move beyond that fight or flight response. We want to move beyond that. And we want to move beyond um, seeking false peace or false uh, unity and, and, and sacrificing kingdom given diversity as well. And so, God, as we wrestle with these concepts and then put together actual um, sort of ways to approach it that come from Scripture, uh, draw us into it. Draw us into living it out. Holy Spirit, awaken us as we get worked up or something triggers us that we begin to ask those questions and work with your Holy Spirit. And so, God, pour your Spirit on us afresh. And for the person who's watching this considering Christianity, may they hear today that this is a way of peace. It's not a religion. It's a relationship empowered to be peacemakers in the world, in the face of a world riven by destructive impulses. And may they also ask deeper questions about why does the world seem to be at war all the time? Why am I at war? And is this how things really should be? Or is there another way? Is there something else going on? Because Jesus answers that question that there is something else going on and there's a different way to live and to be free. So draw us in, Lord. 
In your name we pray. Amen.